building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. So Meg Meeker, um, you wrote a book that just so impacted me and therefore my family. And so it's it's really an honor to have you on 13 years after I read your book. Uh, it was yeah. called Strong Father, Strong Daughter. And we'll talk about all your books. But for me, um, the impact that had on me raising my daughter, who at the time was like 12, she's 25 now, um, and a high school English teacher. But I personally am not um, naturally a touchy-feely person. It just is not who I am. And when I'd read your book about being that way towards your daughter, it really impacted me. I started just putting my arm around her once in a while. I mean, nothing that was forced or weird or awkward, but just um, a little bit more affection towards her. And boy, did she respond. And, And also I saw in there this importance of a daughter seeing her dad as her hero, her protector. And I was able to be, despite all the nonsense culture was hoisting on me, Mm-hmm. I was able to be the unabashed hero, father, protector, provider that she needed me to be. You bet. Well, thanks for having me, Ken. You know, I feel that one of my calling, if you will, um, is not to, you know, as a woman say, dad, you didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. You need to correct this. You didn't correct this. What I really wanted to do with a book is I wanted to bring dads behind their daughter's eyes. And I know kids really well. You know, somebody, some man stood up at a lecture and said, what do you know about fathers? He said, not a lot, but I know what their kids think of their dads. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that if fathers could see who they are through their kids' eyes, and in particular that book through their daughters, their lives would never be the same because dads are larger than life in their kids' eyes. They are heroes. Girls do want protection. Yeah, even when they're 18 and 19, um, they are, dads are the love of their lives. But dads don't feel that because they see their parenting through a man's eyes, a father's eyes, which of course I get. So really that's my joy is to sort of expose to men who their kids are, what they think about them. We're going to have a lot of blunt conversation and just you know, for everybody who's used to hearing me talk, we, if this will be blunt. I'm going to ask Meg some really hard questions that she's going to have some really good, but hard answers. <laughs> but what's a father do that's already screwed up? You know, I mean, his daughter is now 16 and she hates him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, a, a father and a mother's job, job, if you want, in raising a child doesn't end until they're about 25. So I would say, and the reason I say that is because then they have full cognitive development enough brain to deal with, if you will. So that dad has nine more years. In a, in a child's eyes, in a daughter or a son's eyes, it's never, ever, ever too late for a dad. Now, you probably know, and I know men in their 40s and 50s who still ache for their dad to say, good job, son. Good job. You did it. And daughters ache the same way. And every child takes one man to the grave and it's their dad because that connection is so strong. So to the dad who has a 16-year-old, or I would even say a 25 or 30-year-old, you need to know this, that daughter wants you. They want you. But because you're the dad and you're the grown-up, they wait for you to come after them. 
Because in a child's eyes, even though you're an older child, but your dad is still your dad, you expect dad to come through. You know what, Ken? I have seen so much reconciliation. I interviewed so many women for this book and adult women, and they had one of two reactions. They either gushed about their fathers or they broke into tears. Mm. Broke into tears because there wasn't the reconciliation. So it's never too late for a dad with a daughter or a son. You think about the prodigal son, right? I mean, the the prodigal son in Jesus's parable had to make the decision to repent. But when he turned towards his father, he saw his father was waiting there and the father broke into a run and grabbed him in his arms and welcomed him back to the family. And I think that's a a picture. um, God's giving that as a picture of of eternity, but it's also a picture of the reality of how kids and fathers well, if you if you think I don't mean to interrupt Malachi four six, the very end, mm-hmm. the very end of the Old Testament, the last words God said before He went silent for two, three, four hundred years. I don't know, um, is that the hearts of the fathers will turn to the children, and then the children's hearts to the fathers. But He said fathers to the children first, and then children to the fathers. That's how seriously God takes it. That's what God wants for men. Not because he's trying to say, you really messed up. He's saying, this is the joy of life. Turn your heart a little differently. Just turn it a little differently. And any dad can do that. I've worked with men right out of jail. And um, their kids still want them. Kids don't care if dad's in jail or if he makes $5 million a year. Dad is dad is dad. And to a child. And so a dad may feel like he messed up because he, you know, is in jail or he, you know, cheated on this. But to a child, it's a very different story. We had a, 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 a woman I talked to now. It's been about a year ago, but she was 18 at the time, 18 or 19. And her dad, she said, was an alcoholic, workaholic. He didn't know her. He didn't talk to her. He went to a Promise Keepers event. This was 20 years ago when Promise Keepers was really at its height. And um she said he came back a totally transformed man. He drove to her school, her college, got on his knees and asked her for her forgiveness for being a crappy father. And she said, Ken, now my dad and I is my best friend. And that's a pretty big statement. That's a That was a college age girl before he straightened himself out. And, and now 20 years later. It happened in one afternoon. Hmm. One afternoon. Now, Promise Keepers got him to that point. But you see, if if, if men are willing to just open their hearts a crack to God and a crack to their daughters. That's what I mean. Their lives totally change. And we're living in a time where women and everybody's saying, you know, dads don't matter. We don't need them. You know, women need men like a fish needs a bicycle. Da, 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but here's the thing, you know, um, we've got to knock this off. And I think that, what I saw in one of the the things that prompted me to write Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters is that our culture was bashing fathers. But what I was seeing in my office was the total opposite. The girls who had a decent dad, I don't even mean a great dad, but a decent dad. Those are the girls who, who came through eating disorders, anxiety, depression, school issues, oppositional defiant. If they had a dad with them, they're the ones who did really well. And yet, as a culture, we're telling dads they're stupid, they're not needed. And I go, wait, 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 wait a minute. This doesn't, you know, this doesn't work this way. 
And so, and I think that that message resonates with men that they can and they are that great because God put it in there. You have all the wiring. You know, men have all the wiring. They just need someone to help ignite it, not crush it. That's all you need. So I'm talking to Dr. Meg Meeker, who, uh, PhD, child psychology, written a bunch of amazing books. We started off by talking about how I'd read your book, Strong Father, Strong Daughter, years ago, and it made a huge impact on my life. Mm -hmm. But you've written books about fathers and sons. What you know is you know kids. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, through the kids' eyes, seeing massive abuse, neglect, stupid decisions, you've been able to then write some great books and give some great lectures about how parents should... um, how they can do better. And one of the questions I have for you, because what I wasn't dealing with with my daughter 13 years ago when I read your book was the um, availability of pornography and the pressures of pornography that are now available. Because our generation, um, it just wasn't around um, unless your buddy's dad had a magazine or something. You just didn't see it, right? I mean, I, I had no idea when I was 12, 13 years old. And so it's hard for us to understand the pressures that kids are under now because they have access to it on their phones. Mm -hmm. And we see now, especially boys, eight, nine, 10 years old, are already getting information that their bodies don't even really even understand how to process. It's screwing them up massively. Mm -hmm. And then that effect of boys being so perverted driven, and I do, when I say perverted driven, I mean perverted driven. I mean an an animalistic sexual drive that has nothing to do with any emotion because it wasn't developed normally. Mm -hmm. Girls now are being in a horrible situation of trying to respond to boys that are not like what we can understand. And so how does a parent, whether your child is four and you're trying to, you know, prepare 12 in the middle of all this or 19 or 20 and you're going holy cow this son or daughter has a perspective that's so far different than mine because of the pressures of modern civilization how do they deal with that which is a very broad question i'm sorry but i figure you'll pick an answer out of there well, i mean this is what i do that's fine i think first of all when young boys seven eight nine who see pornography and pornography finds kids It's not a matter of if your child will see it, their son. It's a matter of when they'll do it. Boys don't necessarily respond to that in a sexual way. They're in shock. They're thinking, what are those people doing? This is horrible. And so they go back and back and back to find out more. So if you have a young child, you have to um, approach it from that perspective. My child's not a sexual predator. My child is not sexually interested. He's just trying to figure out something he was shocked about. As boys are pubertal and they get older, it's a different story, of course, because boys are much more uh, visual, very visually stimulated than girls are. And so it's extremely easy to to get addicted to pornography. So Now, a lot of parents aren't going to like this, but this is what I say. When it comes to phones and computers um, and social media and so forth, um, there's no privacy. There shouldn't be any privacy. Mm -hmm. Oh, my child needs. No, they don't. They don't need privacy when their life is at stake. So you need to know everything your child is seeing. Um, And that's hard. I know. Um, And a lot of parents can't get into everything. But if your kids into pornography, seeing a little bit or his friends are, um, you can find out pretty quickly. And then you need to sit down with them as uncomfortable as you are. 
even if you struggle with it, um, and I, I don't you know, mean to point fingers, but it's a real popular thing. Um, Steve Arterburn writes about that um, and say, you know, this is this is a real serious issue and this is how it makes you feel. And I get it. That's totally normal. God gave you those feelings. But here's how you turn away, because if you stay down this path, um, your heart is going to become deadened. Your mind is going to get confused and twist, twisted up. So you need to tell them about the dark place they're going to. And you also have to remember a 13, 14, 50 year old kid can't get there on their own. They can't turn away from pornography on their own because they don't have the self-control. So you need to work with them and work with them. And um, I even did this with my son and, and, you know, because <laughs> because I was clearly more comfortable talking about this than my husband, even though was <laughs> I'm like, come on, he's like, well, you're, you're a pro, man. It's your yeah. it's your job. It's your job, but you know, I was very comfortable because I taught you know abstinence education for years and years and years uh, to teenagers, which, by the way, they responded really well to. Mm. And here's what you need to understand, dads, is that as you approach your son, something deep within him says. You're right, dad. I want this. I want out. This doesn't feel good. But around their culture reinforces that it should feel good. And so the kid's really confused. So when dad comes along and says, no, we need to go a different way. A, that child wants it really deep down. And B, they're teachable. But you've got to link arms and walk your kid through it. And I encourage dads, you know, we're, we're trying to grow up kids who get married and who are faithful and monogamous. Okay. Talk to your sons about your struggle. I, 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 you know, I think in any marriage, I think it's, it's, it's difficult. So, so men need to teach their sons, here are the struggles. Here's how I deal, dealt with it. And here's how I want it. Here's where I want to take you and keep it really simple. But you need to realize your sons really want what you have to say. My brother talks about this. He was pretty promiscuous and he was also always in fistfights and everything else. And I, I teach men all the time that sexual perversion and violence go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. How did Rudy Giuliani clean up New York? He closed all the sex shops in, in Times Square. I mean, literally, that's what he did. He he gave the police some some authority to do their thing. But mostly he closed down all the sex shops. And, and the next thing you know, Times Square went from being the cesspool that it was from the mid 90s and before to the tourist attraction that it is now and perversion and violence go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And my brother just said, you know, he's been very honest with his son about don't be me. Don't don't screw up yeah. like me. And I've told him, you know, the problem is your son looks at you now in your 50s and says, well, dad looks pretty cool. Dad's been successful. So why can't I do all that? And the answer that you need to give him is because it took dad a lot longer to get successful than it should have. Because <laughs> you didn't want to be me in my 30s, you know. So I do think there's a certain amount of honesty required. I'm not saying complete honesty. I think sometimes that can go too far. You, you know, your kids don't need to know everything, but just just you're not perfect, but you've gained a lot of wisdom along the way. And, and you'd like to teach them both from your successes and your failures. Exactly. Exactly. And and I'll I'll never forget a father who just come out of jail, just come out of jail went over to see his son at, his, at the son's mom's house. And he walked in the uh, room and in the kitchen, he saw an eight by 12 picture of himself in his orange jumpsuit with mm -hmm. his hands uh, handcuffed. And he said, what's that doing there? 
And, and she said, because I never want her son to turn out like you. But here's the problem. Dad got out of jail. Dad turned his life around. And the son said, if my dad went to jail and it's okay, and I look up to my dad, I'll be okay if I do that. So it can turn on kids. But where you go from there is you teach your son the pain that that, that brought And then you teach them, here's where I want you to go. And so you can't just say, don't, don't, don't do what I would, because kids will go, well, yeah, dad, but you're my hero. So you were okay. I was good. But then you need to teach them where to go and how to get there. And then you're in a good spot. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. So I want to get to um, and some questions have come through that I have here, and I'll probably read them here in a bit. I want to ask a really tough question, um, which I warned you I'd ask before we started, so you, you, I'd make sure you're okay, which is, what do you do when your son or daughter comes to you and says they're transgender or they're homosexual? How do you deal with that, too? Because we're talking about stuff that we, most of us, have no, um, we, we don't know how to deal with that. It's not even in our purveyance, right? It's a new day. Before we get there, but I want to give people a chance because it's a teaser. How, how do you deal with stuff uh, as a parent where your child wants to do something like in their career or whatnot that you don't really agree with? So, um, you know, uh, how many boys say when they're 15, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to having no idea what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. They just want to be a Navy SEAL and the moms are freaking out because they don't want their son to go off and get and get blown up and everything. Um, or all the way, you know, how many times do we hear of fathers who push their sons to be football players to the point of, you know, they're living vicariously through them. Or, you know, the great example is a good friend of mine um, who's a governor of a state now, I won't say which one because I don't want to cop him out, but he was talking about how he had four kids and he told his kids, it's okay to be anything you want in life as long as it's an engineer, you know, because he was an engineer and became very wealthy by being an engineer. Mm -hmm. So his three kids, they went to the highest MIT and all that stuff. His fourth kid ended up at Caltech and tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And as he went down, it was after his first semester of college as a freshman and talked to him, he realized his son did not have the aptitude to be an engineer. He was not wired that way. And the pressures of trying to live up, his mother was an engineer as well. So the pressures of trying to live up to mom and dad engineers, he just couldn't do the math and whatnot that he needed to. And, and I remember that friend saying to me, make sure you never push your kids into doing something they can't do. And most of these suicides in colleges, the elite colleges are coming from kids who shouldn't be there in the first place, but through one way or another, they're in a school that's beyond their capabilities. So again, broad question, 
Um, I'm going to throw that one out to you and then we'll transition over to the really tough question of what, you know, the, the transgender question. Okay. You know, I see a lot of this um, kids going off to college and feeling this incredible pressure. And we know that anxiety and depression in kids is skyrocketing and uh, suicide rates are skyrocketing and very disturbing. I didn't see this 30 years ago or 25 years ago. And a lot of it is due to the pressure that they feel not only from their parents, but also from the schools. I'll be blunt, parents want their kids to be a superstar because it makes them look like a good parent. Mm. So it's very egotistical. And if you wanna, if you wanna live as a very profoundly egotistical uh, person, you can do it, but your kid's gonna pay the price. Second, I would say that son or daughter is not yours, it's God's. And woe to you, who teach your son or daughter to do something that God did not create them for. You're accountable to God. Oh, amen. Yeah. And so what you need to do from a biblical perspective is look at that child and say to them, you know, God created you perfectly because God doesn't make mistakes. My job as your mom or my job as your dad is as you grow to figure out the very special gifts that God gave you and then to help you develop them any way you want period, period. Don't talk about your career. Don't talk about your profession because it really, it's not about you. It's about your kid. And even adults, mature adults have fallen into this trap of thinking that a lot of it is about me. Now they don't know that they don't know that, but that's the way they're living. And so if, if a child came to me and said, you know, dad, I want to go to engineering school. And I was an engineer and I really wanted that kid to go to engineering school. I would sit down and I say, tell me why you want to go and then be quiet. Don't talk, don't preach, don't lecture and listen. And then ask questions is the best way to get your kid to listen to you. OK, and and if you say, well, I want to go to engineering school because I'll make a lot of money and I'm smart and I like this. Why do you want to make a lot of money? Mm. Why? What are you going to do with your intelligence? Is that the best thing to do with your intelligence? Now, in order to do that, you have to have some humility as a dad and you have to be willing to allow that child to be a person that may disappoint you. But you can do that. Because the truth of the matter is parents don't want kids who end up being a huge disappointment because that sort of cracks their dreams. But that's where we need to be adults and say, this child is not mine. And my job is to figure out, you know, the gifts that God gave them and use them the way God wanted. Um, I see this all the time. All these athletes that come through. It took care of two kids that were Olympic, Olympic athletes. A lot of them trying to get there. What happens is and when they're, they're pushed to ski or whatever this, sophomore year in high school, they crack. I'm done. I can't do it. And their relationship with their parents just cracks as well. Mm -hmm. They're mad. They're mad. And, you know, the engineer, when he's 35, is going to be mad because dad pressured him to do that. You don't want that for your relationship with your kid. It's really all about accepting what God has given you and let it be. That's good. And, you know, for our generation, you know, there was a Brady bunch about that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brady wants Greg to be an architect. He doesn't want to be an architect. So he 
draws a plan for a house with a moat around it so that his dad will leave him alone and think he's not ready to be an architect. See, there, our generation has good TV shows, the Brady Bunch. TV shows, we'd learn a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I really, but I really do think, Ken, I really think it's about parent ego. Yes, I really do. And a story about that is, I had a, a young man come to me who. Um, had the possibility of playing in the NFL, but he was not in nowhere was he good enough to really make it in the NFL. And as he was talking to me about, you know, um, maybe he might try to try out for this one team who had written him a letter. And, and I walked him through, look, you know, you're going to end up on a practice squad, making $100,000 a year as a meat bag for a bunch of Neanderthals to destroy your body. Um, and then he, you know, he started crying and said, um, you know, I've given him permission to not have to do that because his father was pushing him so hard, you know, and you think about dad wants to say my son plays for the green Bay Packers or whatever, but you know, my son, by the time he's 25 has no knees and no hips because they've been destroyed, you know, while coaches used him for the better players to destroy while they got better. So we see that so much, especially in sports. Um, you know, you hear all the time about the pressures of little league, about fathers screaming at umpires and stuff, man. Oh man. When I coached my son's basketball team, when he was a little kid, the parents used to get angry with me because I wasn't angry enough. You know, I would never argue with the refs. I didn't care who won or lost. I was there to teach them some values. And I remember actually famously, um, there was one kid that was a horrific athlete on that team. He, he just, you know, I put him in, but he just run around the court doing nothing. And he had a single mom and he just needed some fathering. And so I took that time to sort of be like his father. And about six months later, I ran into him. We were getting ready to go into a movie or something and saw him there with his mom. And, and I said, oh, I, sh I should go up and say something to him. So I walked up to him and I said a few nice things to him. And, and I walked away kind of feeling good about myself that I was his father figure to him when I heard him lead over to his mother and say, who is that? So I <laughs> clearly hadn't made no impact on this kid's life. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you had, but, but it, he just, it, you know, you didn't stand out as somebody who sort of pummeled him over the head. Cause sometimes those are the people that stand out is the ones that kids hate. Yeah. yeah well, thanks for trying see, see, you, I can see the, the PhD in you right there yeah, trying to make yeah. feel better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I was totally unmemorable to this kid that I poured myself into. Yeah. So, um, Child psychologist, you've seen all this kind of stuff. Okay, now we get to the really tough question. And after this, I'll go to some of the questions we're getting from people watching this. But the question of the day, you know, my friend John Stone Street says all the time, what was um, unthinkable 10 years ago has become unquestionable today. Never did I, as I was raising my kids, ever think that it, it would be societal pressure on them to pretend they were a different sex than they actually are. That, you know... I never did I worry about my son coming downstairs in a dress or my daughter, you know, wishing she could grow a mustache. It was not even in the purveyance and it's changed so fast. Mm -hmm. So parents, they are dealing with this and some even of older kids. Now I've got a friend who just, he had a daughter go off to Hollywood. And after she'd been in Hollywood for a few months, decided she was a man, you know, so you're, you're a mom, a dad, and your child comes to you and says, um, you know, your son comes to you and says, I'm a girl. How do you deal with that? Well, the first thing you don't do is scream. <laughs> and you don't, no, you're not. Because then the, the child goes away. And what I say to kids, and because there'll be kids like this in my office. Well, first of all, I want to say true transgender is extremely rare. Okay. 
it's extremely rare. So what we're seeing this burgeoning of all this transgender people, it's really a fad. It, it really is a fad. And I believe it will go away because it's not sustainable. Because what happens when kids, you know, shift gender is many of them are rend rendered infertile. Okay. So if you're a parent and your 12 year old comes to you or your seven year old or your 17 year old says that you say, okay, um, well, we're just going to let it play itself out. In other words, you make them pause and give themselves time. That's the most important thing because over that time, remember I said the best way to change a kid's mind is to question them. <clears throat> you start questioning. Why do you feel like that? When did you start feeling like you should be a girl and you're a guy? Then also look at their peer group. But really the best thing to do is say, okay, if you really want to be a girl, we'll talk about that when you're a full adult, because I'm not going to be responsible as your mom or dad to make such a profound life change that you're probably going to regret because the incidence of depression, suicide, and people who've transitioned much higher than the normal population. And as a matter of fact, about 80% of the people that transition later in life um, wish that they'd stayed with their genetic identity. Really? Yeah, yeah. What a horrible tragedy that must be. It's tragedy. And a lot of this is parent-driven and peer-driven. And, you know, young kids are so, um, you know, you suggest anything to them and they want to do it. So a lot of it has to do with peer group. So to whatever you know, influence you can have in their peer group, that's great. A child of mine would never transition during the during the um, teen years at all, period, because I, I think it's um, I think it's medical malpractice. Now, when you say transition, you mean have an operation where they anything operation. Oper yeah, yeah. Yeah, because as, as a medical physician, I, you know, I practice with eight other partners, seven other partners. Um, everybody agrees. Nobody in their right mind would ever say to a, a, a young girl, go down to this clinic and start getting some testosterone injections and life will be good. It's malpractice. But there are physicians out there, about 40 clinics in the United States who do this. I had one patient who did it. And um I'd been working with her for seven, several years. Her family was just a mess. Incidentally, dad's not in the home. Mom is there. She's getting her social work degree, yada, yada. Went down to University of Michigan. She was interviewed two hours by a social worker, one hour by a physician. And they said, yep, you qualify for testosterone. A month later, I saw her. She's 13. And she had a man's voice. I started to cry, Ken. I'm sorry. I just started to cry. I, because, you know, that, that's a travesty. That says a lot because you've seen a lot. Oh, so cry oh. Over a tragedy must be. It's, it's tragedy. It's tragedy. And part of me wanted to say, I can't take care of you because I'm so upset by this. And you're, you're going against medical advice so strongly. Um, but I didn't because I wanted to stick with her. And of course you can't do that. So here's what parents need to realize. First of all, if your kid says that to you, they're not trying to be a jerk. They're just trying to fit in with their friends. Okay. So don't tell them they're a horrible sinner and this kind of thing. They're a kid. They're a kid trying to figure out life. And you say, okay, but over time, over the next 10 years, we're going to figure out your feelings about being a girl, about being a boy. 
Okay. And then, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions. You ask a lot of why questions. And then um, you can get them to the point 99 out of 100 kids are not going to transition because it's a fat and they're responding to very superficial feelings, very superficial feelings. And so you really don't need to make it a spiritual religious issue. Just make it a medical one. Say, look, if you start transitioning at 13 or 15 or five, chances of you not being able to have kids in your 20s pretty high. And I don't want you to make that decision now. Um, to which I've had some parents say, well, she doesn't want kids. She's right. 13. What does she know? What does she know? What does mom know? So I'm... Struggling. When I was 13, I wanted to be a bush pilot in Alaska. <laughs> I'm not a bush pilot in Alaska. No. I, I would not... Hell would be having to move to Alaska now that I understand what cold is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and here's what parents need to realize. Kids go through periods where they're trying to figure out what the other gender experiences in life, particularly girls with boys. Girls can become a tomboy. They can get their hair cut at a barber. They can, um, you know, try this and try that. That's part of being a kid, you know, and, and um, real funny story. It's, it's, it's a little bit crude, but it was perfect. It's a great example. We had a little boy in our neighborhood in fifth grade who'd run around the neighborhood and dress. And we thought, this is crazy. I mean, this is crazy. What's wrong with that mother? Da, 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 da. And the kid grew up. He became a hockey player. He's kind of buff. And I said to him at 25, I, said, I just need to ask you, why did you run around in a dress when you're kindergarten? He said, oh, because I went through a period. I didn't want to wear underwear. And it felt so good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we would have thought, oh, you know, psychologically. And this kid just... He just kind of would prefer not to run around to run around without clothes. So and it turns out he was Scottish. Yeah. So, <laughs> he was you know, and I burst out laughing how how odd parent perceptions are of kids' behaviors. Yeah. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.